Hello, and welcome to the C-Store Decisions Live podcast. I'm Erin Del Conte, Executive Editor of C-Store Decisions Magazine. Thank you for joining us. Please sit back and enjoy as we talk all things convenience retailing. So this is Erin Del Conte, and over the next few months, I'm going to be having conversations with women in convenience to learn about their experiences as women in the convenience store industry, from the challenges they face to how they found their voice, um, how they deal with their own expectations as well as societal expectations, and how they balance it all. Uh, So we'll be having guests across uh, generations and across different retail stores uh, to get a wide perspective as we go. So join me as we talk to our first guest, Lisa Del Alba of Square One Markets. So today we are here with Lisa Del Alba, the CEO of Square One Markets in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, you're headquartered. Uh, And Lisa, how many convenience stores does your chain operate today? We currently have seven. Seven stores, great. Um, And so we're here having conversations with women in convenience. And Lisa, I I thought to reach out to you because we had talked for a Next Generation Leader article in 2017, uh, where you talked with me about what that transition was like, taking over the family business, filling your, your father's shoes as the CEO of the company, but to kick us off, I wanted to, to start by sort of framing where we are generationally, uh, because I think that concerns that women have, challenges that women specifically predominantly faced, uh, we tend to see those differently depending on the generation that we're in, whether you know we started out in, in 1970 or in 2020, we're going to maybe see those challenges differently. So you know, I am as, as old as you can be and still be a millennial. And I think you are as young as you can be and, and still be Gen X. Is that is that correct? Correct. Yes. I know when the original millennial statistics came out, I think the cutoff was the late 70s. And, uh, you know, I found myself a little uh, ill at ease with that because I was really hoping I was going to be a Gen Xer. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, cool. So we're, we're kind of a similar age group here. So we kind of have similar, perhaps generational perspectives. And you are the second generation to run your family business. Um, so your father, Gary Del Alba, he was the founder of Square One Markets, correct? And yep. so in, if I'm understanding, if I remember correctly, you were about 24, I think it was, when you joined the company in 2004. You'd had a background in dance. Now you're at the family company learning everything from human resources to operations uh, you have a sister who came on a few couple of years later as the the chief financial officer. All this right. correct? Yes. Um, and then in 2009, your father suddenly passed away, and a short time later, you stepped into those uh, shoes as CEO. How old were you at the time uh, that you took on that position? I was 29. 29. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Was I 29? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I was 29. I never, I have, I've actually never thought about the answer to that question. Yeah. 29. Yeah. So a, a pretty young woman taking on this position, 
obviously setting aside the, the obvious, you know, trauma of losing your father and the trying to move into this position uh, with all of the, the grief in the background, j just from the perspective of, of stepping into this role as a young woman, what was that side of the experience like for you? What sort of challenges or, um, you know, hurdles did you kind of come up against as you stepped into that role? You know, so I, I got to spend um, an amazing five years. It, it was not enough time. Um, but, you know, I, I got to spend five years with my father. And, and what I learned very quickly um, was that our team members, our, our management team, our store team, they loved my father. They had such a high respect for him. Um, my dad was, you know, a little scary, you know, temperamental Italian guy. So, so he, uh, you know, had respect. He, everyone knew he was tough. And everyone really liked him. Um, you know, they, they, they respected him as a boss. I think they saw him as, uh, you know, someone to aspire to be. I think he would, you know, often give advice to people and, and help people out when they needed it on a personal level. And, you know, I think one of the things that struck me very quickly was that um, our company needed leadership. And so before paperwork was done and decisions were made, I, I you know, very quickly made sure that, um, you know, our team knew that they, they still had jobs and they, they were still, you know, a part of a company and that we were a family business and that, um, you know, we have a commitment to, you know, keeping things running and, and really taking the company into the next generation. You know, there, there's a lot of criticism, I think, with two daughters. And, you know, I even received criticism from family members and, oh, that's not going to work. You know, the two girls are going to fight all the time and, and you know, they're not going to they're not going to want to do the, you know, the, the hard labor that sometimes you have to do in a convenience store uh, business. So it really set out almost in a way to prove everybody wrong. <laughs> uh, you know, just some of my, my critics, but um, you know, I really felt, um, you know, I did not take time off from work. I, I immediately visited our, our teams and made sure that they knew that, you know, we were business as usual, really. I mean, that's always kind of been a, a mindset for us is that, you know, even in the pandemic is that, you know, we're business as usual, we're here and we're open and, and you know, we're, we're doing what we do. You know, there were some people that didn't like that, you know, there were, there were vendors, there were some folks that, um, you know, didn't necessarily think that I had the, <laughs> the wherewithal to do the job. And, and, and there were also some that were very supportive and knew my father and knew how he ran the organization. And, um, you know, they're, they're some of our, our best uh, partner, uh, you know, mm -hmm. supplier partners that we have, so. What did you find was most effective in, in navigating some of those naysayers? I mean, did you just kind of put your head down and let them roll off your back? Did you make changes in who you were working with or how did you, how did you adapt? It was a little bit of both, honestly. I mean, you know, I do think, um, you know, stepping into family business, whether you're male or female, I do think there's that automatic assumption that, oh, these are the kids, they're not gonna, you know, they're not gonna appreciate this, they just got to walk in here and everything was handed to them. So you're kind of fighting that already, I think, as a second generation, third generation. You know, so, so I was already kind of in that mindset to really prove people wrong. It's, it's one of my, I think, go-to uh, sources of strength in my life is really kind of, you know, those people that kind of look at you and they just, you know, shake their heads. They motivate um, you to, yes, to prove them wrong. Really yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, there were some folks that I, I realized, you know, we needed to end the relationship with. Um, you know, there were a couple um, partners. I mean, I had one person specifically who was kind of yelling at me. 
you know, similarly to the way a father would, would you know, reprimand the daughter. And I was like, you know what, I think you can leave now and we're done. And we, we've never worked with that person since. You know, yeah, but but there were also some other, you know, vendor partners that were just extremely supportive. Our petroleum company being one of them, uh, our petroleum service company and equipment supplier was just amazing. I mean, they, you know, any questions, please ask. And, and you know, the, the owner of that company also has daughters working in the business. And, you know, so it... Um, it makes people, a difference when people understand yeah. and have that perspective. Yeah. Yeah, there are definitely people out there that are invested in your success and you just have to find them. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so that was really, you know, the initial step was really not just getting the buy-in and the support from our team, which I was grateful to have for the most part, but, you know, some of our other partners and, and people we work with daily, you know, we really had to reestablish the relationship. And, and yes, we did make some changes, mm -hmm. um, you know, just in dialogue and in rapport and how we were going to do things or, or, you know, what we were, we were doing. Um, yeah. So it was, uh, it's quite the ride. <laughs> yeah. What, um, so there's probably some, some women listening to this right now who are next generation leaders like yourself, who know that someday they are going to take up the reins and step into maybe their father or their mother or their uncle's shoes. What advice would you have for them? So I think there's two things that come to mind. Um, first is I, I, I really feel that there, this industry in particular has so many places to find support and strength. And, you know, I, I think you have to find your tribe. And, and you know, I, I couldn't be more thankful to organizations like NAPS, like, you know, it, um, you know, some of the other organizations out there that really almost stepped into the role unknowingly as a mentor, as a father, as, you know, um, just to kind of help guide through my own professional development and, um, you know, as a female and, and as a second generation, I, I think that, you know, there are going to be things that you're going to want to change. And it took me a really long time to wrap my mind around, you know, when I, when my father did something one way and I wanted to do it a different way, it was hard for me to not view that personally and, you know, see it in a way like I thought my dad was just wonderful and, and brilliant and everything. And so, you know, when, when you're poking holes in some of those processes, um, you know, it took me a really long time to be okay with that and not feel like I was undermining my dad, you know, mm -hmm. or, um, you know, making a change or, or criticizing the way he did things. Um, you know, and the, and the second is like, I do think, you know, people do look at, you know, female leaders very differently. There's a different set of expectations there at times. Um, but, but I, I honestly think that you have to be yourself. And, you know, I, I made the mistake of trying to figure out how I fit in, into, a box or, or, you know, a circle of, of people. And I realized that I was asked to be there to give my opinion and my perspective as a female, as, as, a, as a young person, you know, um, maybe not so much young anymore, but, <laughs> uh, you know, and, and still, I, I still young. <laughs> I don't, I think sometimes we're afraid to say what we really think. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I think there's a way to do that and still be diplomatic and share your perspective without feeling like you're a naysayer or, um, just somebody who disagrees. And that, that took me a long time to figure out. I think I'm probably still figuring that out. But mm -hmm. um, Can you say a, a little bit more about that, about, you know, what does it take to find your voice um, and to feel like you have the freedom to, to walk in a room and to, to kind of lead with your authentic self and, and views, even if maybe you're in a more male-dominated environment? How did you navigate that? You know, it, it took a lot of practice for me because I am not someone who typically, um, 
you know, I have a dance background. And so, you know, we were taught that when you walk into a classroom, you walk around the perimeter, you don't walk through the middle of a space, you don't make noise, you know, you, you stand there and, and, you know, you wait for instruction. And so it took a long time for me to really unwind a lot of that because that's appropriate behavior in, and I think I saw that you have a theater background, if I'm not I do. So I know that you know this. <laughs> um, you know, we parked in the back of the building. We, you know, um, you know, very much a, I don't know what the word I'm looking for is, but, you know, you wait until you get instructions. And so I thought, I brought that behavior to the table a lot as a leader, um, you know, and as a female. And it's not, it's not what you do uh, in a meeting or, you know, at a conference is, is you know, you know, if you're going to get to know people and, and put your voice on the table, it, it, you have to practice it. I think mm-hmm. you have to put yourself in situations that are completely uncomfortable and, and, and you know, get over um, by kind of putting yourself in that culture, just that, that fear of people being like, well, what the heck is she talking about? Like, what is it? <laughs> you know? um, and, and there are so many people out there that are truly vested in, in, in you succeeding. I mean, I remember once I, I moderated a leadership forum for NAX and the woman I was working with, um, Teresa, you know, she said to me, right before I was so nervous, I was like shaking. And she said, you know, she said, you're up there talking to a room full of your friends and they want to see you do well. And she was so right. Um, you know, and it just takes those moments, I think, where, you know, and, and I was more nervous to walk into a room full of our managers um, than I was to walk up on a stage and talk to, you know, 5,000 people I didn't know. But you do, you have to kind of own who you are and, and, and put yourself in those moments often enough to be comfortable with them. Mm-hmm. Being yourself, yeah. not trying to be someone else, not trying to fit into someone else's idea of who you should yeah. be, right? Trying to just yeah. lead as, as yourself. Cool. That takes practice. And, and yeah. I think that takes, you know, I, I, I would like to say that there's, there's a level of, I mean, I literally, I think, you know, the industry probably, uh, you know, people that I've known for a long time have really watched me grow up a bit, um, you know, from 29 to 42, you learn a lot. It's, uh, (laughs) (laughs) so I think that, I think that comes with age, but I think it comes with practice. And I think it's important to be willing to be the person who says the weird thing or the, you know, the thing no one else notices because that's why you're there. It may be kind of like you were saying, maybe undoing some old conditioning uh, that we yeah. sometimes get, maybe disproportionately as women, right? To kind of yeah. take more of a background uh, position, not, as you said, cut immediately through the middle of the room. Yeah. You have to kind of, in business, learn to do those things. Yeah. And it takes a, a minute. Um, and you mentioned something uh, when you were talking there a bit before about how when you took over the business uh, after your father, how you did some things differently. How has, or has, you know, uh, being a, a woman leader, how does that affect the culture? For example, are you considering things like, I don't know, flexible work time or, or those sorts of things? Or are there other changes that you've made that have been informed by your own life experience in the company uh, that might have been different than, than what your father would have done? Yeah, so, you know, I think, and especially over the last year, um, you know, with, with parents, both men and women, um, having the responsibility of, of being at home with their children because they're not in school, you know, and, and that's not just about being physically present as I've had to learn personally, you know, third grade math all over again, which I thought I was, <laughs> you know, a superstar in. And so we really tried to be a lot more flexible with folks, you know, around their work schedules and not necessarily expect the, you know, typical nine to five presence that, you know, we've expected from especially our management team, you know, we're 24 hour business and we feel that, 
as long as the, the stores are running well and, you know, there's staff and people have what they need and our customers are being served that, quite frankly, you can do that work at any hour of the day and it doesn't necessarily need to be linear. <laughs> so, you know, as long as we're supporting our teams and ultimately serving the customer, um, you know, we've really been pretty flexible about that and, and especially lately. And, and that's come a lot from my own experience. I used to be really tough, you know, I don't know why can't they just get a babysitter and come to work and, and, you know, being a parent and realizing that that's not necessarily the easiest thing and it's not the most financially savvy decision one could make. Um, you know, it's, it's really, um, it's been a bit of a gross process for me personally as a parent mm-hmm. um, and as a mom, you know, because, because, you know, I, I think there's there's a ton of dads out there, you know, killing it and, and doing dad things and um, things that we traditionally view as women's responsibilities. I mean, um, you know, but but I think kids need both if if they, if they have are fortunate enough to have both parents. They they you know they need their parents in their lives, and you don't get this time back with your children. And so you know that's really become very important to me. Um, you know, to make sure that our teens have that time with their families. Mm-hmm. Very cool. And and you, as we talk. I know you are working from home right now in the yes. pandemic with your with your son at home. Yes. Correct. <laughs> so you, yeah. you understand firsthand, as you said, some of these challenges that, that people are facing. And I was just going to share some statistics for our listeners. You know, obviously the pandemic is impacting everyone right now, especially frontline workers, men and women, um, regardless of, of their gender identity. But Fortune Magazine has pointed out that women specifically have lost more than three decades of labor force gains in less than a year because of, of the pandemic. Um, and obviously, this has disproportionately impacted women of color um, who tend to disproportionately be in those frontline worker positions in healthcare, restaurants, retail, and so forth. Uh, Fortune further went on to point out that 275,000 women left the workforce, uh, were forced out because of the pandemic just this past January. Overall, last statistic here, overall 2.3 million women in the U.S. have left their jobs since February 2020, so since the pandemic started, compared to 1.8 million men. And, you know, a lot of that being, you know, as children haven't been able to go to school, as they haven't been able to go to daycare, women often are the ones who have stepped back to be that person at home, especially maybe they had grandparents helping out who now they can't see because of COVID. So I'm wondering, you know, I've talked to some retailers who have seen some some issues with staffing right now, clearly, and, and especially in some instances disproportionately impacting women at their companies. I believe you said you've kind of seen this across the board. What, what are you seeing in terms of staffing issues right now at convenience stores and, and some of these trends? I would say this is probably the toughest time that I've seen uh, in my time in the convenience store industry in terms of having open positions and not being able to fill them. Mm-hmm. Um, and yes, we do, and we are primarily not primarily, but like definitely highly indexed in terms of, uh, you know, male, female team members. We definitely have more women. You know, it's interesting because we talk a lot about voices of women and women's perspectives. And, you know, and and I think it's interesting just culturally to state that, you know, our voices might right now be needed at home more, Um, you know, and and, and unfortunately, you know, we've created you know, just through this pandemic, a, a need for us to be home. And, you know, I, I think I think there are just as many men, um, you know, I can speak for my husband who really took 
it upon himself to, you know, work from home when, when a job was available. But yeah, kids, kids need their moms. And, and I think that, uh, it's, um, I, I think it just might be where some of us feel we're needed. And, you know, if you can balance both and work from home, um, that's fabulous. But in our industry, at the end of the day, we need people physically present at work. And, um, you know, I, I think a lot of people are really, you know, all financial struggles aside, I hear that most people, you know, in our industry and, and outside of it are very thankful. Reflecting back on, on, you know, the time that they've spent at home and almost being thankful in a way because children grow up so fast and, and you know, you miss a lot of it spending time at work and, you know, developing your career and, and, and whatever else, you know, you spend your time doing. But I mean, I think my son grew a foot taller almost in the mm-hmm. last year <laughs> when I look back on it, you know, and I got to see a little bit more of that, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and so I, I think some of it, I, I don't know how far it has set us back in the workplace and in, in a career. Um, Cause I think this is the best time for women I've ever seen, uh, you know, just in terms of wanting women's voices and wanting women's leadership. So I'm, I'm really hoping that, you know, for, for folks that want to return to their careers, that, that, that isn't a setback for them. But I also think it speaks to the variety of, of places we're needed, you know, and how awesome that is, um, you know, and, and how being a parent is, is, you know, really a, just, it's an opportunity to, you know, do something really cool. And, you know, we, we did get an opportunity to be a little bit more um, of a parent during this mm-hmm. moment. So, you know, I think, um, and, you know, and I know for us, anyone who's, you know, wanting to return to their, to their jobs, um, you know, once I know, like our school district has talked about going back full time. So, you know, once that happens, I, you know, people are welcome to, to come back and, and participate as much as they want. So. Wonderful. I think some of the the fears that have been sort of voiced out there in the media, right, are the idea of if you have so many men and women out of work and then people are competing for jobs, are are women going to get those jobs? Are women of color going to get those jobs? Or are they going to go disproportionately, you know, toward white males again? Um, And that, you know, maybe just a fear that's kind of out there circulating right now, um, but definitely just something that's kind of hanging in the balance or in, in the conversation from a, from a CEO perspective, how do you work to uh, continue to make sure that you have that inclusive environment? You know, it's interesting when you brought up that statistic. I don't know if it's because I'm a, a woman, but I just, you know, when somebody applies for a job, you know, we hire them. It's, so sometimes I, I, it takes me a second to, I, I forget, uh, you know, the struggles that some of my, you know, my colleagues have had, you know, around just being female or, you know, you know, any other part of that list that you mentioned in terms of people being overlooked or, you know, being replaced by men, you know, I think we've always been, I think as an industry and just as a company at Square One, we've always been, I'd like to say, you know, pretty inclusive. We appreciate diversity. I think, you know, I've always pushed for diversity. Depends on the neighborhood. Some of our neighborhoods are not truly, you know, diverse and, and some of them are extremely diverse. And, you know, but I've always kind of made sure that we have a team that represents the neighborhood we're in. And, you know, we've uh, just recently, well, actually it's probably been about a year now, but one of our manager's sons, he has Williams syndrome, which is kind of similar to autism. And he just had this lifelong dream of working with his father at, at, a, at a convenience store. So he's on, you know, he's on our team two days a week and customers absolutely love him. And, and um, I'd like to do more of that 
actually, because I think our industry is perfect for, mm-hmm. you know, folks who maybe aren't seeking that, you know, desk nine to five type work, um, you know, and our customers just absolutely love dialogue. And we're missing that right now severely just with the pandemic and not making contact as often as we do. And so our customers really appreciate the ability to just, you know, and, and he, you know, he does work tasks and he's there to hang out with our customers and it's perfect. So I think, um, you know, that's kind of been a focus of mine since before the pandemic, but, you know, our doors are all are welcome. I'd like to consider us a pretty diverse company. I think we always have been. Wonderful. And I, I wanted to go back to something else you had said earlier around expectations of, of women leaders. How do you feel the expectations might be different for a, a woman leader? So you brought up generations earlier, and, and, I, and I think a lot of it is viewed through the generational lenses. I do think that, um, you know, again, when I think about my dance background and kind of anticipating the expectations of your audience, there's a vast set of expectations out there for how people expect us to behave, you know, and, and, and I think that, and I want to make sure I'm answering your question, but, you know, I, I think that there is a lens that might not view the same activity that you're, you know, the same, you know, comment or, or whatever it is that you're trying to do to put your voice on the table is some people are going to view that as, wow, that person's really aggressive or, you know, um, and then, you know, I think different generations may view that like, wow, that person really speaks their mind. And so it's, I think, I think it's a little bit more of a challenge for us because we're dealing with multiple generations right now in the workplace and in the industry. And, you know, I think most people are, you know, celebrating diverse perspectives and, and women at the table. But I do think that at times there are, there is a set of, you know, behavior expectations that you're viewed through that you're not always, that aren't always clear, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and, you know, I'm, I'm kind of, one of those people that, you know, like I lift weights and I do martial arts and, you know, some people view that as like, Oh, you know, like, (laughs) and other people are like, Oh my God, that's awesome. You know? And, and so I do think we are viewed still kind of through that, that lens of, you know, what does it mean to be a female and what is that expectation? And Mm -hmm. I think what we're doing, you know, and it's so cool is that, you know, it's the female population is kind of saying, you know, we're, we're extremely diverse in and of our own gender. We're capable of all these things and, and, you know, all these talents, but yet, you know, we, we, we are unique in the way we view the world versus, versus men. And, uh, you know, I've kind of always tried to, to, you know, fit in with the boys and, and hang out with the boys and, <laughs> um, you know, and again, you know, I think that sometimes we are viewed harshly sometimes for those things, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and, and I think it's just, it's just about exposure and, and really feeling comfortable to be who you are and realize that some people are going to be like, oh, she does martial arts. Well, you know, you know. <laughs> um, I think that's just going to happen. So. Mm-hmm. And vice versa, right? You, it, sometimes I think what can be challenging is that there are so many varying expectations that people have. Like the one side of it, kind of like you were saying, says, oh, you know, that's so cool. And the other side says, what are you doing? And then, <laughs> you know, you're, you know, it's kind of like you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't, right? Someone's yeah. going to have a, a problem with something. Um, yeah. <laughs> and you just kind of have to, to be yourself and to, and to just walk through it. Uh, another thing I wanted to ask about around expectations, you know, um, For example, women in leadership in like a a university setting, right, tend to disproportionately get more requests for like mentorship and help. And there's a lot more emotional labor expected of women 
compared to their male colleagues. And then if women say no to some of those expectations, they're judged more harshly, not just by men, but also by women. It's not, it's not just that this is coming from men. This is sort of a societal thing. Whereas men can say no and it's like, oh, okay, he must be busy. Have you, I see you nodding as I'm saying this. So do you have any experience around that or any anecdotes you can share or how have you navigated that particular challenge? You know, it's interesting. I, I think that, you know, caretaker, mom, mentor, it was a, a role I always feared, you know, and to share something somewhat personal. I didn't think I was ever going to be a parent. So I'm like, I will be the worst parent, um, you know, but, but truth be told, like I find myself falling into that role a lot where, you know, folks have personal challenges or, um, you know, like I, I mean, you kind of see some barbells on the floor behind me. Like, I, you know, I have a, a, a big passion for fitness. And so I find myself, you know, when, when a team of ours is like, Hey, you know, I really want to start working out. I'm like, okay, what do you want to do? Let's go. Like, you know, um, and, and there is a burnout to that. There, there is an absolute burnout to that. You know, I have, um, you know, helped people with, with housing, with transportation, you know, things that, you know, I, I have tried to help with just to kind of give people a, you know, a sense of mind, you know, peace of mind when somebody is worried about the roof over their head or their ability to get to work, you know, those things are really challenging and, and there's not much else that you can spend your time doing other than worrying about that. And, and so, you know, I, I do think that there is kind of a, a natural expectation for, for us as women to fill those roles to kind of be the mom. And, and, you know, I, I will tell you that I definitely feel a sense of burnout from that sometimes. Um, because, because at the end of the day, you want people to help themselves and, you know, grow. Um, and when I think about some of my most tremendous moments of growth in my life, they've been from, you know, a place of complete adversity and, you know, how do I get this done? And, and I mean, I remember, you know, taking over as the, you know, the, the operations manager, my father was still alive and we had cigarette price changes. Mm -hmm. And I had never done them before. I, no one had ever taught me how to do them. And I thought you just, you know, made whatever, you know, and I'm starting to work students and I literally was in tears. Like, I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm so frustrated. I couldn't ask anyone for help. I think I asked someone for help and they were like, well, I don't have time for you. I figured it out and I will never forget that moment. And, and I think sometimes, you know, we end up kind of being in that role of do for, and, you know, we take on that role of, of advice giver and mentor and, Sometimes I, I think, you know, we don't realize that maybe the best scenario is for people to work through things with the resources that you give them themselves sometimes. So I, I, I have a hard time with that a lot because it, it, you do fall into that. And it's a great place to be. I absolutely love helping people, inspiring people. And, and you know, at times I feel like the convenience store business is just a conduit for, for me to kind of do that. But it, it is challenging because I do think people expect that from you as a female. And you're absolutely right. Men can say no. Uh, and we don't get to as easily. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, fair enough. And, uh, you know, we, we talked a little bit about um, advice that you had for, you know, upcoming next generation leaders. What would you say for, for young women who are maybe entering the workforce right now, maybe they're just a couple years into their, their roles in the convenience store industry, whether they're frontline workers, whether they're in management or executive level roles, what kind of advice would you have for them? Is there anything different that you, than what you previously said that you might wanna add for, for women who might be listening? You know, my advice to, to, to women starting out in the industry or even people you know, who have 
uh, you know, found themselves a few years in is, is to really find your tribe. Is is this industry is full of people who love to network, are super supportive vendors, other retailers. I don't know, quite frankly, how I would have survived in this industry without those folks. Uh, you know, men, women, folks that are older, folks that are younger. Just to have, I mean, there are so many people that want to see you succeed that you have to find them, and you know. Those folks have really replaced, like I said, kind of the lost, you know, parent role, uh, mentor, and, and to really, you know, get involved in the industry. You know, mm -hmm. all of the events that, there are so many events that are, that are hosted and, and, you know, suppliers are there and, and, and other retailers and, and to get involved in our industry is extremely important. Um, there's just so many things that, you know, you can, I mean, I have a group of friends that we literally text each other about, paper towel dispensers and uh -huh. you know, what coffee makers do you use and you know how are you handling this and and that was extremely important during the pandemic you know mm -hmm. how are people handling schedules are you still selling hot dogs are you um but you know even just beyond that really getting involved in uh events and committees and and you know boards of directors and advisory groups it's so invaluable for, for both men and women, but I feel like there's a need for more women to participate. Mm -hmm. And I, I really feel very strongly about those connections that I've made over the years. Wonderful. And, and for anyone listening, you know, C-Store Decisions, we have the National Advisory Group, with, which is a group of retailers run by retailers, a small intimate group where people can join our, our information exchanges. You can go to nagconvenience.com to find out more about that. And we also have our Young Executives Organization for young men and women under the age of 40 who can network with uh, with peers in the industry. So a uh, little, little plug about that for anyone who wants to find some some places to uh, to get some of that that help and, and that mentorship. Um, well, Lisa, is there anything else that you'd like to, to add in closing uh, that we haven't talked about? No, this has been uh, this has been absolutely great. You know, if anybody you know listening is is has other questions or you know wants to talk more about experience in the industry, I'd be more than happy to. Um, you know, I think my email is available. Uh, you know, whatever. If, if somebody wants to get in touch, I'd be more than happy to have a conversation and, and connect. Um, I, I can't say enough how important that is. Uh, it's just invaluable. Oh, wonderful. Well, Lisa, thanks for taking the time. It was great to learn about your experiences. And I hope you have a, a good rest of the day. You too. Thank you. All right. Thanks. You've been listening to the C-Store Decisions Live podcast. For more podcasts, visit cstoredecisions.com or follow me on Twitter at cstoreD underscore Aaron. That's cstoreD underscore E-R-I-N.